Welcome to Chowder and Grits, the podcast for ACC and Hokies football. I'm Justin Cochola alongside Tim Hurth. Today is Monday, November 25th. We're recapping week 13 of the ACC and uh, yeah, week 14 setting up to be a fun one, uh, at least between Virginia Tech and Virginia. We got the Hokies absolutely demoralizing the Pitt Panthers. Uh, a couple of other big games, Miami, you know, what in the world happened there? A couple Jeez. of teams that are no longer bowl eligible or, you know, have a shot at getting into a bowl. So uh, a lot to talk about. But first off, Tim, what's uh, what's going on? It's You know, I'm recovering. Uh, you know, a long night last night with a wedding and a wedding reception. Um, you know, an early morning this morning coming back down uh, from Richmond to Raleigh. You know, and, and just trying to recover as best that I can and, and talk some football. But, uh, yeah, I mean, when I saw the score go final yesterday, uh, I really turned the partying up to 10. Um, and that maybe in hindsight was a poor decision. Yeah, well, you know, it's uh, it was probably worth it at the time. You know, the aftermath, yeah. not so much. But, you know, we can't we can't live in a world to where we judge our past actions. You know, no, you made no, the decision. I have, I have no regrets tattooed across my chest for a reason, Justin. Yeah, obviously. I've got the neck tat, actually. Well, that's classy. But, um, yeah, I mean, crazy, crazy football game, Tim. I mean, you know, Virginia Tech, they closed as a three and a half point favorite and it rained and it rained and it rained so shout out to uh the fans that were at the game i mean obviously miserable conditions to watch a football game in uh it was cold it was windy it was raining um and you know the stands for the most part were pretty full you know definitely not a sellout um but yeah i mean the first few series were kind of what we expected you know defense slow offensive play couldn't get a lot rolling you know a couple of first downs there for the Hokies nothing going for Pitt and then we had that huge 71 yard pass from from uh, Hendon Hooker to Tavion Robinson that set up the James Mitchell touchdown a few plays later Rayshard Ashby chases down Kenny Pickett gets the sack fumble Narell Pollard picks it up takes it into mm. the end zone we got a fat guy touchdown and the Hokies were off and running 14 to nothing at that point early right. in the first quarter or late in the first quarter I should say and you know that's uh that's their third defensive score in the last four games so yeah. they've got some things working Tim and you know that's really pretty much all they needed I mean Pitt offensively absolutely nothing could get going you know 27 carries for 62 yards there was uh talk before the game that you know, the weather was going to play into Pitt's benefit, which made absolutely no sense to me whatsoever. Um, you know, defensively for Pitt, you would have thought, yeah, maybe that plays into their defense. But, you know, offensively, this is an offense that came in averaging 40 pass attempts per game. And they attempted 26 in this one. Kenny Pickett only completed 10 for 103 yards. They only had 62 yards on the ground. They had 177 total yards in this game. That's the fifth fewest by a Power 5 team in the Justin Fuente era. And it's the third straight game that Virginia Tech has held an opponent to under 65 yards on the ground. So that just kind of tells you where this defense is at right now. Um, you know, they, they played up to the challenge. You know, second straight shutout 
for Virginia Tech. It's the third time they've gotten back-to-back shutouts in Bud Foster's career. First time against back-to-back ACC opponents. And this defense, Tim, has shut out its opponents on 32 straight possessions. It scored 96 unanswered points dating back to the third quarter against Wake Forest. And they've allowed zero points through their last nine quarters of play. Thoughts on that? That's just incredible. It's incredible, man. Um, You know, what a turnaround that's been happening with that defense. And, um, you know, not not only are they still stifling opponents, but the scoring on the defensive side has been huge. Um, Big-time spark plays. Uh, You've got guys making plays all over the field. Again, I want to highlight Shamari Connor again. Um, You know, the, the condensed game that I watched on the way back uh, was just incredible from Shamari's all over the place. Rayshard Ashby's got to be first team all ACC. The guy is just an absolute animal. Um, and you know, Hewitt making plays finally looking like he's taken a step up. Norell Pollard continuing to just be one of the most unforeseen gems that we've seen on that Hokies defensive line in a long time. And, um, you know, it's like the, it's culminating in this effort where everybody is is so in sync and in fighting for Bud, and you can tell the passion on that defensive side of the ball is just incredible, and the pride and the confidence in which they're playing just it warms my heart. Justin, what can I say? Yeah, no, I mean they're playing at a very high level right now, and um, you know, offensively, it's just another efficient game for Hendon Hooker, ten of thirteen for one fifty three and two touchdowns. You know, two touchdown drives in the first half. They were both for 90-plus yards. Pitt had only given up two 90-plus yard offensive touchdown series the entire season. And, you know, the Hokies, obviously, you know, they didn't tear it up offensively. 263 total yards. They had 110 on the ground. Obviously, going up against one of the better defenses, not just in the ACC, but in the country. Then add on to it the weather conditions. You know, I saw some rhetoric on Twitter, which I didn't understand, that People complaining about Hinton Hooker not being able to throw the football. Yeah, that's not okay. Come on. Which I, I just didn't understand. I mean, he wasn't struggling yesterday. I mean, he was ten of thirteen. Um, Virginia Tech doesn't throw the ball a lot. You know, they and they're certainly they not going to throw it a lot in those conditions. No, and so. they they just they've been a run first football team with Hinton Hooker. They're six and zero with Hinton Hooker. So yeah, I'll, I'll take uh, I'll take what's going on any day. So if you think that's a bad football or quarterback play, then, yeah, I guess I'm all for that. Um, you know, Trey Turner, Damon Hazleton, they had in, had a couple of touchdowns. You know, Pitt, Pitt really kind of showed out as, you know, being a Pat Narduzzi coach football team. And oh, um, <laughs> Narduzzi they sure you know, did. failed to disappoint. Uh, you know, coming into this week, he said there's no way we're going to have any false start penalties. They had two. Um, they had a couple of big penalties that really kind of set the offensive back. They they held the uh, or they had a play where they got you know to the eight about to score, and then it came back for a holding call. You know they ended up having to punt. Uh, they were zero for three on fourth downs. They only entered Virginia Tech territory three times. They had ten penalties in this game for sixty-seven yards. Paris Ford was ejected for targeting on Trey Turner. You know, there was uh, a lot of a lot of fouls that I thought, you know, were just missed throughout the game. There was a bunch of uh, videos surfacing where, you know, after the play, a lot of times you'd see guys shoving Virginia Tech players in the face. 
Um, obviously, before the game, you saw the guy uh, going around the O in the end zone, which Oscar Bradburn, after the game, said, I guess he was just trying to uh, carve in how many points they were going to have total for the game, which, uh, you know, that was a nice little shot there. But, you know, Narduzzi, after the game, if you uh, remember the Paris forward hit on Trey Turner, I mean, just textbook targeting head-to-head contact. Uh, you know, couldn't have been more obvious what it was. And and forward, he's a guy who plays angry. I mean, he had a good game. Uh, he was all over the field. He plays a little out of control at times. Uh, definitely a hothead if you've watched any of his games this year. You know, there was another game earlier this year. I can't remember the opponent, but got ejected for targeting and yep. absolutely lost his mind on the sideline. Uh, which after the game they said, well, he was trying to get his team fired up. I don't really care what it was. Like the behavior uh, was just tremendously out of control. Um, Pitt, you know, it's it's a team that you know their head coach loves to to come up with excuses about you know why they why they won why they lost. He did admit after the game they just got beat. Uh, Virginia Tech was the better football team, which, you know, he really had nothing else to say about that. That could have been, you know, right or wrong. I mean, it was pretty obvious who the better team was on the football field. Virginia Tech, they finished with uh, two sacks, four tackles for a loss, six pass deflections. You know, that havoc rate was in full effect. We're not sure on what Trey Turner's status is. You know, we're uh, we're doing this on Sunday afternoon here. Uh, don't know if he's got a concussion, you know, what he's dealing with. He obviously didn't come back into the game. You know, he will be kind of a big part of what Virginia Tech plans to do against UVA next week. So, yeah, and uh, that'll reading be into the loss. Twitter uh, rumor mill in regards to Trey Turner, I think he's going to be okay uh, based on some guys that I do know have connections to the football program and what mm-hmm. they've said. So that seems like it's going to be good news on that front, but obviously we won't know anything until game time knowing Justin Fuente. Yeah, knowing Justin Fuente, and he's a guy, too, who he will not risk throwing guys in there um, no. if they're not, you know, 100%, you know, as no, we saw it, with Hendon Hooker earlier this year. Yeah, we really we need a guy like Trey, too. Um, you need all the dynamic playmakers you can get, and, you know, obviously Trey is one of the few that jump off the page when you think playmakers on Virginia Tech's offense. But not only that, he gives you, an, you know, another red zone target uh, to go alongside Hazleton. Uh, out wide so I think that's a really important if you want to try to maybe run some fades and uh, make it so the teams can't key on Hazleton or key on Turner only in the red zone so hopefully he'll be okay Um, you know but you know big plays from him and Hazleton both getting touchdown catches short ones but impressive grabs nonetheless especially on Hazleton's grab I won you want to talk about throws I thought that was one of the better throws that we saw from Hooker uh, in that game the way he threw the ball on the outside shoulder of Hazleton to where he could get it and kind of box out the defender uh, was really beautifully executed and completely intentional. Uh, and then just a great catch. And, and Trey, it just seems like Trey just makes beautiful catches game in and game out. Yeah, no, he really does. And, uh, you know, the throw to Hazleton, I mean, that was that's his only catch in the last two weeks. So, right. um, you know, Virginia Tech, we talked about it going into this game. They're really hard to figure out you know who's going to get the ball who to focus in on because they have so many guys who can hurt you and you know we saw that with Tavion Robinson he had a couple of big plays in this game one through the air one on the ground you know he's a guy who uh who's really turned into a dynamic playmaker for them he did leave with an ankle injury tweaked his ankle uh didn't return but at that point the game was kind of uh well in hand so that wasn't too much of a surprise 
Um, you know, I, I have a good feeling that he will be on the field uh, against UVA next week. But, you know, this Hokies team, you know, they've won 6-7. of seven. They're 6-0 with Hendon Hooker as the starter. They're sitting here at 8-3. and three. Coastal Division title on the line as they head to Charlottesville to take on UVA next week. And, you know, we're going to do the preview for you uh, right after this show, actually. We're going to drop it on Tuesday. It's, uh, you know, it's a short week. It's a holiday week. The game is on Friday. You know, we can't release it on Thursday and expect you to listen to it on Thanksgiving Day and uh, before a noon kickoff on Friday. So we're going to get that out to you on Tuesday morning. That's something we're really excited to talk about. And, um, you know, I, I think the thing with Virginia Tech right now is, you know, this team has got so much momentum. And yeah. it's it's one of the more momentous teams that I can remember in the last decade of Virginia Tech football. Uh, because, you know, really since the uh, the Sugar Bowl against Michigan, Virginia Tech hasn't been very good. You know, we had the 10-win season in 2016. Um, but outside of that, that was kind of the the lone year where, you know, we were competing at a super high level. This team feels different, though. You know, if if you look at Virginia Tech and what they've done over the last few weeks, you know, they beat a hot Georgia Tech team and hot in the standpoint of they're playing much better. And we saw Georgia Tech respond this week with the win. Uh, that was a Georgia Tech team that took UVA down to the wire. Right. Uh, you know, we saw what they just did against Pitt, 28 to nothing. Uh, you know, they've been battle-tested with, you know, their third-string quarterback. You know, if you look at the North Carolina game, you know, that's a game that Hendon Hooker left injured. And, you know, Quincy Patterson came in and led this team to victory in six overtimes. You know, you've got the Notre Dame game where Quincy Patterson was the guy, his first start of his career. You know, not ready from a passing standpoint. You know, went out there. And, you know, did everything he could. And Virginia Tech, you know, lost that game in the last 30 seconds. Lost by one point. You know, this team, they're just playing at a different level right now. The defense especially. You know, what Bud Foster has been able to do with this defensive group and watching some of the film and some of the highlights after the game of of seeing how amped up this team is in the locker room. And, you know, night and day from last season. And what we've seen is, you know, the Georgia Tech game, Obviously, they destroyed Virginia Tech last season. Completely different football team this year. Last year, Pitt, you know, 13.9 yards per play. 52-22 to victory against Virginia Tech. Virginia Tech couldn't stop them. One of the worst performances ever by a Bud Foster defense. And then they come out this year with a lot of the same guys and make an absolute statement in lane. Bud Foster's last home game. And they've got all the momentum heading into the into the matchup against UVA this week. So get get ready. It's going to be a big one. It's going to be an exciting game. You know, it's uh, you know it's fun that UVA is actually uh, a pretty solid football team um, to see kind of what what it can bring to this rivalry because you know UVA has been pretty bad over the last uh, over the last fifteen years for the for the most part. You know, they've had some flashes here and there, but. If you're a Virginia Tech fan, you have to be feeling really good about things right now. You're sitting eight and three. You know, you you beat UVA next week. You're sitting at nine and three. You go on to play Clemson. There's a really good shot. Virginia Tech ends up in the Orange Bowl uh, with the win next week. So, Tim, I'll let you uh, wrap up your thoughts around this one. But uh, yeah, it should be a fun uh, fun Thanksgiving week for Hokies fans. 
This wood just felt so good, you know, not only for buzz and everything, buzz, and not everything for bud and everything that surrounds that, but um, just the way Pitt was acting in the lead up to the game with Narduzzi saying the typical things that Narduzzi does, uh, the shenanigans in the end zone, and I don't know which Pitt player that was, uh, trying to take the paint and the grass up in the hokey end zone. Um, you know, the, the kind of dust up that happened at the beginning of the game when the two teams were running out on the field. You know, it's just, it seemed like a complete classlessness by the Pitt Panthers. And you love to follow that sort of action and talk up with a resounding skunking of them at Lane Stadium. Um, you know, it was just one of those things where Pitt looked like they were going to fight, but in the end, they were paper tigers. They hardly did anything. Um, and, and I think that just felt so good. So, you know, happiness is, is, was abounding for me. Uh, you know, the perfect setup for the, for the UVA game, which obviously we'll talk about on the next episode, but it just, it couldn't have gotten better, um, as far as Virginia Tech goes. And one of the things that I took away from watching, and again, I didn't get to see the full game like most of you, but I saw bits and pieces on a cell phone, uh, not the greatest view, um, and obviously a condensed game on another cell phone. Um, but, you know, I, I did my best to watch it. But the thing that I, I think is really important and in stark contrast the beginning of the year, again, I've mentioned it before, is the confidence and they just, the, the team looks so comfortable on the field. They don't look uptight anymore. Um, they don't look like they're holding back. Uh, the passion is there. The enthusiasm is there. I mean, Hendon Hooker, when he's leading the team up and down the field, just looks like a guy that's completely in control. He looks like a leader, and I think that's really, really paying dividends for everybody on that offense and everybody on that team. They seem to be feeding off one another, and I love it because that, to me, has been the biggest change, not only on the product. you know, Obviously, the product on the field is completely different, but that change in the team's mentality and the way they look so confident and relaxed and the way we're handling business in such a you know, a, a satisfying, uh, total performance kind of way is just, it, it, it's the best. And I really hope it continues. I expect it to. Um, but yeah, it just, it's so good to see, to, to beat a team that has the same mentality and the same, uh, you know, classy nature as its coach uh, to come out there and to have them sh- completely shelled at lane. It doesn't get better than that, Justin. Yeah, and I, I think the big thing is, you know, this doesn't feel like Virginia Tech teams in the past where, you know, they're going to overlook an opponent or they're going to lay an egg or they're not going to perform up to expectations. You know, they've been playing playoff football yeah. this entire month. That's exactly right. They've lived up to it. Okay. Every single game they've come out and they've absolutely smacked the opponent right in the face. You go back to Wake Forest, talk about Georgia Tech, you talk about Pitt. There's no reason to think UVA is going to be any different. UVA has been much more noisy about you know their angst and their hate of Virginia Tech um, and they have been for the last two three years ever since Bronco took over and the results have been the same and there's really no reason to expect the results are going to be any different this year but we'll talk about that um, in our next episode um, but yeah I mean Virginia Tech great win uh, statement game looking really good and um, yeah I mean after the way that this season started, this is pretty much all you can ask for. And we're kind of right where we thought Virginia Tech would be in the preseason, competing for a Coastal Division title right around that eight-win mark, you know, maybe nine, maybe ten. You know, it didn't, uh, didn't necessarily get there the way that we thought they would, but in the end, 
they're still at that eight win mark and uh, you know have the potential to to increase it next week. Let's go yeah. ahead and talk about uh, the rest of the games, Tim, um, in the ACC. So UVA hosted Liberty. Uh, they ended up dominating this one, 55-27. Liberty actually had the lead there in the second quarter, up 14-10, um, but then UVA was sparked by a uh, interception. They also ran a fake field goal in this one. They were up 24-14 that set up another score. You know, UVA obviously being accused of uh, looking ahead in a week where their athletic department released a uh, Beat Virginia Tech hype video 11 days and one opponent before the actual game. Um, But, you know, it didn't feel that way on the field, at least uh, towards the latter part of the second quarter and on. You know, Bryce Perkins, you know, another good game for him, 18-30 for 199 and two scores. Also added 30 and a touchdown on the ground. Uh, Running game-wise, you know, Wayne Tuolapapa did not play in this one. And uh, Lamont Atkins got the start, but P.K. Keir was the team's leading rusher. He had 10 carries for 82 yards and a touchdown. It was actually one of their better days on the ground, if not the best rushing performance they've yeah. had on the year. For you know, sure. They went for 227 on 44 carries with four touchdowns. And, uh, you know, Terrell Jana continues to be a favorite target for Perkins. Added four catches for 56 yards and a touchdown. So, you know... Good day for UVA. Uh, the opponents, not so good. I mean, this was a team that, you know, Liberty's a team that lost to Rutgers by 10. So uh, we all know how good Rutgers is at football. You know, I thought, thought it was good just from a performance standpoint for UVA to come out and, you know, get that statement win and, uh, you know, get ready for next week against Virginia Tech. Yeah, and, you know, it's good. Both teams are obviously going to be prepping like crazy for the week, but um, you know, a, a decent win for UVA. I think this was a scenario in which there wasn't really anything to gain by winning, but, you know, there wasn't a whole lot to, to lose by losing either other than pride. So it was really kind of a ho-hum game as far as implications and is kind of weirdly juxtaposed at the end of the year next to, you know, the biggest rival game, uh, rivalry game for the Cavs. I think they were hoping to take this one easy, um, get some players some rest, and I'm not sure how much of that they were able to do. Um, you know, but nonetheless, both teams go in off of wins, um, and we'll see what happens next week. And obviously we can't wait to talk about the next episode, but, uh, Hugh Freeze couldn't do us any favors, but you know, he tried and that's all we can honestly ask for sitting in a second quarter, second quarter. I thought we were going to get maybe, maybe an early Christmas present. Um, but their quarterback, Stephen Calvert cooled off and, uh, they really struggled after the first, you know, quarter and a half to really get anything done on offense. So uh, it was exciting for a little bit, and that's really all we could have hoped for out of this one. NC State goes down to Georgia Tech, twenty-eight twenty-six. That Tim eliminates NC State from bowl eligibility. Nice rebound win for Georgia Tech. James Graham had a nice bounce back game with three passing touchdowns, added 112 on the ground. NC State, once again, just cannot stop the ground game. They gave up 266 yards, 6.2 yards per carry. You know, they they had a late little surge there in the fourth quarter, but uh, just not enough. Wolfpack go down, and uh, yeah, they've got North Carolina facing them. Uh, They're staring them right in the face this week. Yeah, so that becomes NC State Super Bowl. And, you know, the, the struggles on offense continue, although Bam Knight, uh, Jordan Houston looked really, really good in that game. Um, and, you know, it's a shame they haven't been able to show out all year, whether it be due to injury or underperformance from the offensive line. It was nice for Tabari Hines to show up again for NC State, but they just couldn't match Georgia Tech. 
they made a good comeback, but Georgia Tech was able to apply more pressure throughout the entire game. And, uh, you know, I thought James Graham ran the ball well. Um, you know, I, I thought that he was fairly impressive at quarterback. He was efficient, obviously, and he's not a guy that's going to light the box score up, but he did enough to get the win, including three touchdowns uh, through the air. And then, you know, I always talk about him, but I think Jordan Mason is just fantastic. And he absolutely gashed NC State on the ground. 141 yards. Uh, not surprising as Dave and company can't seem to figure out what to do to stop any offenses this year. Um, and then we're at the point now where I do think changes are going to be made on that defensive side of the football from a coaching standpoint. Uh, Dave Huxtable has kind of worn out his welcome in Raleigh and continues to put out defenses that underperform given the, uh, the sum of their parts and and how many good players and good talent they have on that defensive side of the ball really leaves no excuse, regardless of how many injuries you have, to have such a hard time stopping the run. Um, and so we'll see what changes they make moving forward. But, you know, Georgia Tech, uh, a couple of big-time ACC wins. Uh, I, w- I wasn't expecting them to even get to two ACC wins. So the fact that we're here, I think, says a lot about that coaching staff. And I know Georgia Tech is just, uh, in my opinion, a sleeping giant from a standpoint of their ability to recruit uh, kind of where they are in the city of Atlanta. Um, and with Collins as their coach, I see a high, high ceiling there. So great win for them. Uh, Notre Dame destroys Boston College 40-7. to And talk about stopping the run game. You know, this game was close at halftime. It was 16-7. to And then Notre Dame blew it open. So Ian Book, 26-40 to for 239. You know, also had uh, 66 yards on the ground, which led the Irish. Boston College managed just 128 yards on the ground, and this is obviously a run-first football team. That was on 41 carries. A.J. Dillon only had 14 of them, 56 yards. Dennis Grossell had 63 yards passing. That's just not going to get it done. Boston College is now at 5-6 and six overall. They have to beat Pitt on the road to get a bowl. That's going to be tough, uh, especially going up against that caliber of defense and the way that Boston College has looked offensively outside of the run game. You know, that's uh, that's not spelling good things for uh, for Adazio and company. Next week may be the last time we see Adazio on Boston College sideline. Yeah, it wouldn't surprise me, especially if they go ahead and, and lose to Pitt, which one would expect to happen. But again, Pitt not a whole lot to play for anymore. So we'll see how that goes. Ian Book does what Ian Book does and has a very efficient game through the air. Three touchdowns. I thought he was really good, but especially on the ground where he added 66 yards rushing. Uh, he's got that nice escapability, but it was kind of good to see him get that many yards on the ground as well. They looked really, really good at uh, Notre Dame. Uh, you know, they, they struggled at first, started off slow, but really through the air they took over in the second half. I think Chris Fink had a good game. Uh, a guy that's got not only a cool name, but pretty good flow there up top. So, Cool to see them doing well. Um, you know, they they aren't the greatest team this year, but I think they fought really hard and played some really, really good teams pretty close. So Notre Dame doing what we expected, stomping Boston College. Um, but yeah, I'm, I'm with you. Adazio's future at Chestnut Hill seems a little murky at this point. You can only go 6-6 six and six forever. Um, he obviously went to Jeff Fisher's School of Coaching, where 500 every year will keep you alive. And I'm not so sure that he's going to, one, get to 500 this year or stay alive by the end of the year. So something to keep an eye on. Um, and yeah, that BC pit game, that'll be uh, interesting to watch with no real implications. And, uh, you know, a pit team with nothing to play for. Will that uh, Boston College team rally around Adazio? We will soon find out. Yeah, that uh, that seven-win threshold really seems to be in danger, uh, you know, 
on the wrong side of danger because they're yeah, not and, even and if there. that's your bread and butter, and that's uh, you know, it was kind of always Boston College said, you know, we're not doing great, but um, we're going to be at a bowl game barely, and it seems like this year that's not going to be the case. And if you're Boston College, uh, you might as well pull the plug now um, because you run the risk of having another down year. And for a team like Boston College who doesn't necessarily necessarily tear up the recruiting scene. Uh, it could snowball rather quickly. Yeah. So, and you're probably um, not going to have AJ Dillon next year either. No, probably not. Uh, Louisville 56, Syracuse 34. So seventh win for Scott Satterfield. Biggest turnaround in the FBS this season continues. Mikhail Cunningham, big day, throws five touchdown passes. The sophomore has really come on over the last few weeks, and uh, he's a weapon that the defenses have to account for with his arm and with his legs. 2-2 Atwell, five catches for 152 and two scores. And our boy, Javion Hawkins, if you listen every week, you know we love this guy. 23 carries for 233 and a touchdown. Uh, yeah, that's over 10 yards per carry. Outside of the first quarter where Louisville, Louisville got up 21-3, this game was uh, pretty competitive. Uh, but once again, the Syracuse defense continues to struggle. The Orange will not be going to a bowl this year. The offensive line uh, did play a little better, I guess. Only gave up two sacks. Uh, Louisville did have seven tackles for a loss. But Dino and company, they need to uh, take this offseason, assess what exactly went wrong, and um, just go back to the drawing board. Yeah. I mean, Syracuse's defense was playing the role of Mufasa getting trampled to death uh, by a pack of wildebeest in this game because it was sad and it was violent. Um, Hawkins with 233 on the ground, as you mentioned, at 10 yards a pop. That's just insane. Uh, Tutu Atwell, again, just looks incredible. The guy's dynamite, man. You got to love a guy like that. Um, and Cunningham getting it done. I think this pretty much, in my mind, solidifies uh, Satterfield as a finalist for the ACC Coach of the Year, along with Justin Fuente. Uh, and I think we will see kind of how that pans out, maybe based on uh, what Fuente does uh, the rest of the way out. But Hard to imagine Louisville having seven wins and playing as well as they're playing. Um, really says a lot about where that program's going to be here uh, in the next couple of years because, you know, Satterfield's doing all this without getting, you know, quote-unquote, his guys in, as so many people like to talk about. And you would think, uh, as he recruits to his scheme, that that could only get better. So, uh, big win. Syracuse, again, just dumbfounds. Um, but one thing that is kind of neat to see is a guy like Mo Neal that's put in that time uh, for the Orange and at times has struggled uh, and, and really lacked explosiveness to now put two really, really good games back-to-back. 17 carries, 115 against Duke last week. 20 carries, 163 in a TD this week against Louisville. Uh, Mo Neal, a guy I really like, deserves a shout-out. Um, you know, that defense, not, not so much. Uh, the stunner of the week, Tim. Florida International. 30 gosh Miami 24 so so much for the Miami turnaround you know they were down 23 to 3 in the fourth quarter Jaron Williams looked like trash the entire game you know he had three interceptions going into the fourth quarter DJ Dallas ended up leaving the game with a bad elbow injury that didn't look too good in the second quarter and uh FIU you know they came into this game having lost by 33 to Middle Tennessee and 30 to Florida Atlantic, and they beat the University of Miami. Uh, they pretty much destroyed them for most of the game. You know, the final score ended up being 30 to 24. Miami uh, got 21 points there in the fourth quarter. FIU got 14. Miami now on the season 
0-3 after bye weeks this year and have been outscored 48-3 to in the first quarter of those games. Mm. So mm. clearly it's a coaching issue. Uh, you know, Manny Diaz just looked like a defeated man after the yeah. football game. And uh, yeah. it's just, it's it's unacceptable to lose to FIU if you're Miami. Obviously, you know, this is a crosstown rival. You know, a lot of those guys, I'm sure, grew up wanting to go to Miami. And, you know, they're they're sitting there at FIU. It's it's a program that isn't very good. And, you know, you got, you got Butch Davis down there as the head coach. You know, I'm sure he had those guys ready to go. They came out ready to go. They smacked Miami right in the face. And Miami is a team that, you know, they get pushed around a little bit and they have a tough time responding positively. So what uh, what I don't get with Miami is, you know, just why this team cannot play consistent week in and week out. And the other thing I see is, you know, Jaron Williams had three picks. You know, you had a big-time recruit, Tate Martell, come in. Where has Tate Martell been the entire season? Is he that bad that he can't even get on the field for Miami? I mean, we've seen Nikosi Perry. We've seen Jaron Williams. Where's Tate Martell? Yeah. I just, I mean, I, I'm just, I'm staging the question. Be, it's got to be a mix of two things, right? It's got to be a scheme fit, which is kind of not working for him. Uh, and it, it has to be that his talent isn't quite what... Uh, people had built him up to be. And, uh, you know, I think Tate made a poor decision going to a program like Miami, uh, maybe picking a program with a scheme that really fit his skill set and and maybe going to a program without a new coach may have been a better fit. Um, You know, because there was playing time available at other universities. Uh, You know, so going to Miami, eh, I'm not sure I really get it, but it hasn't paid out for him. So now uh, in the ballot of Tate and Martell, I have no idea where he goes or if he stays, or, or you know what you do at this point, because uh, if you really want to play, uh, you know Miami doesn't seem like the place where that's going to happen. So tough for the kid. You know, I really would like to see what Tate is able to do in college, just because of that that big personality of his. He's like a let's a, a Las Vegas Johnny Manziel, but uh, you know we're, we're never going to get to see that unless he goes somewhere that fits, and, and whether or not that'll happen, we'll see. Um, but Manny Diaz can't do this. I mean, he can't lose to FIU, you know, the the prodigal son and, and famed ACC coach Butch Davis coming into town and laying a smackdown on your team with a team himself that's made up of castaways and rejects from the big universities in Florida. Um, you know, it, it's made up of almost all guys that weren't able to get scholarship offers from Miami, Florida State, the University of Florida. Um, and, you know, those guys are going to play with chips on their shoulder. And, and you have to you have to withstand that. But it, it's not like this was a good version of an FIU football team that we're talking about here. This was an FIU football team that was getting drugged by FAU, as you mentioned, by Middle Tennessee State. Uh, for them to show up and beat Miami in the way they did is almost a fireable offense if I'm in that uh, Miami athletic department. Because if, if this is happening year one, uh, it scares me to think about where we'll be in year two and year three. I'm not necessarily worried about Manny's ability to recruit, um, but this is certainly going to look really bad to recruits in Florida when you consider uh, that they're losing to FIU as well as losing many games on their schedule this year. Um, well, if what you're Miami now, too, like you know, it looks like Virginia Tech's going to be the team to beat going into next season. Yeah, oh, you no know, doubt. you've got UVA with their one band, one man band graduating. You know, 
who knows what they're going to look like. Uh, you've got Miami down there. Just doesn't look like a very well-coached football team. And you've got Pitt, who, you know, maybe Narduzzi is, is gone after this year. You know, there's talk of uh, Michigan State making the change. You know, what does that mean for Pitt? It looks like Virginia Tech right now is the early favorite. You know, they had five seniors graduate. Or they're going to have five seniors graduate from this team. It's a very young football team. It's a team that's going to be loaded with talent, loaded with a lot of the same guys coming back, a, a lot of momentum. That's going to put pressure on Miami. So... I think if you're a Miami fan and Miami athletic department, you've got a lot of questions about is, is Manny Diaz the guy? Why can't we win consistently? You know, what's going on with our program? Is it something more than we just don't have the guys or we don't have the coach? Why isn't it working in Miami? And that's a question that they're going to have to figure out. You know, we can try to figure it out here. You know, the media can try and figure it out, but it just hasn't worked in a really long time. And if you're a Miami football fan, you're probably not feeling too great about things right now. Yeah, you're not. You're not. And does it get better? You know, we'll see. But you hate to see when you make this coaching switch. And Miami's a little different where the talent was there. I mean, Miami's always going to have talent with the way they've recruited in their the grounds in which they recruit. But year one... Um, especially late in year one, what you hate to see is a team that looks completely outdone by its coach. Um, and, and, and that's what we've seen with Manny is he just looks like the spotlight is maybe a little too bright for him. Now, of course, he can figure it out. Um, but the, the team plays, uh, you know, without a lot of discipline. They don't seem to make good calls on the personnel management kind of things, you know, the side of things. I think they've made some interesting decisions with their quarterbacking this year and who's playing and who's sitting. And, you know, it's been a rotating uh, game of musical chairs. But, uh, you know, it, it can't instill a lot of faith in you. And, and this Miami was already having a disappointing season. This this game against FIU really just puts it in a whole new light. Wake Forest 39, Duke 27. Uh, this game a little bit closer than we expected, but Wake's certainly missing Sage Surratt and Scotty Washington. You know, Washington's status uh, for the remainder of the year is just kind of unknown. They really haven't addressed it. Um, Surratt is obviously done, but Kendall Hinton had a nice game. You know, six catches for 189 in the touchdown. Jamie Newman, 14 for 25, 284 in a touchdown. Also had 144 yards and a rushing touchdown. So big day on the ground. Kenneth Walker as well, 17 for 113 in the score. And, uh, you know, it, it felt like a gamer waked, left a number of points off the board just with some miscues. But, you know, we're able to hold on, held off Duke. Uh, you know, this ends Duke's chances at, at getting to a bowl. Disappointing year for the Blue Devils, who are now 4-7. and seven. Yeah, not a lot to mention here other than, you know, we kind of saw this one coming too. Um, maybe it was a little closer than I expected, but, uh, you know, Wake obviously pulling away. The one shout out that's very deserved here is Nick Skiba, a great kicker for Wake Forest, one of the best kickers uh, in ACC conference football history. Uh, made his 32nd straight field goal, which is an NCAA record. So uh, hats off to Nick Skiba. Uh, hopefully, he continues to to make that streak, uh, you know, grow and grow and grow. And Wake Forest, a place that always seems to have really good kickers. So. Whatever they're putting in the water in Winston-Salem, I'm sure everybody kind of wants at this point when it comes to special teams. 
And last game of the week, Mercer at UNC. Tar Heels steamroll the Bears 56-7. to uh, That gets UNC one step closer to a bowl. They're now sitting at 5-6. and six. They've got their date coming up against the Wolfpack. Sam Howell went 10-13 for 152 and three touchdowns. That gives him 32 passing touchdowns on the year, which is the FBS record for most passing touchdowns by a true freshman. That broke Trevor Lawrence's record from a year ago, so... Uh, big uh, big record for Sam Howell. Great season for him. Michael Carter added nine carries for 159 and three scores. UNC rolls, and uh, they roll into next week uh, with a really good shot at uh, at a bowl game. Yeah, yeah, they do. And um, obviously we'll talk about that game on the next episode, but NC State obviously not thrilled to be playing that game. Uh, UNC playing well on the offensive side of the football. Seems like a bad matchup, but steamrolling the Mercer Bears here. Uh, Harrison Frost, cool under pressure, tried all he might to beat the Tar Heels, but he wasn't able to. Um, and the Mercer Bears lose, Tar Heels win, and we are off to hate week uh, moving along. So I know that that was the last game, um, but I, I'm really excited to put this week behind us uh, to get to what really is the capstone of the season for the Hokies uh, to check out how they may do and some of the things they may try to implement in that game against UVA has me really, really excited. So um, I'm ready to go ahead and tie a bow this on this one if you are, Justin. Absolutely. So as Tim mentioned, uh, we're actually going to jump right into that one after we sign off here. That'll be ready for you on Tuesday. So coming to you a couple day early, couple days early this week as uh, as we head into the Thanksgiving holiday. You can have it for your road trips or you know if you're uh, you know trying to avoid. You know, whatever it is you're trying to avoid on the holidays, you know, just tune into Chowder and Grits, which you can find us on any podcast platform. Uh, so Apple Podcasts, Spotify seem to be the favorites. Head over to Twitter or Facebook, type in Chowder and Grits, and you'll find us. Tim, why don't you tell these people what they can do for us? Share our content. Keep interacting with us on all social media platforms and basically give us five-star reviews. Uh, you can certainly leave anything less if you'd like, but we we really, really like those five-star reviews. Uh, they help get our brand out there, help get our name out there, and make sure people are tuning in. Um, and if you don't like what we're doing, let us know. Talk to us. Uh, we'll be happy to go back and forth and, and chat with you guys. So, um, you know, we really appreciate all you've done to this point, and we hope you guys keep tuning in as we uh, wind down this season and, and look ahead to what should be a really fun-filled hay week. Uh, with teams going against their rivals, great slate of college football in the ACC. Obviously, that means games like NC State, UNC, uh, and the main event, UVA versus Virginia Tech at Scott Stadium. Um, with that, we're going to go ahead and sign off. Uh, we'll leave you with a go Hokies, go Bud Foster, and go ACC. See you guys later.